What I want you to know, there's been several of you that have come up and have said things after the lessons. Wonderful things and I appreciate those. But I honestly don't think that there's probably any of you that are sitting here right now that have gotten more out of this than I have. To have to study and, and to prepare for this and then to come over and share it with, with folks like yourselves, Christians who love God, who love one another, who want your marriage to be the best it can possibly be. We've got everybody from those that have been married a few months to those that have been married for many decades. And it is just heartwarming to me uh, to be amongst you, to have shared the fellowship that we have shared, to share the thoughts from God's Word that we have shared, to have the encouragement to see you uh, and to be a part of this. So I, Karen and I both, really appreciate We have looked forward to this weekend for a long time, and it has exceeded expectations. So we are very, very grateful. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Our final element be prayer. Ephesians chapter 6. Is this on or off? Is it on? Okay. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Or in the context of our retreat, certainly for our spouses. This is probably one of the most simple, most familiar, while at the same time one of the most essential elements of the armor of God. A lot of times I think in our teaching on this particular section of scripture, we tend to go through the full armor of God and we stop just before we get to the prayer and take the sword of the spirit. We kind of want to stop right there before we go into verse 18. But prayer is one of the most essential elements in our full armor of God in all things and certainly in our marriages as well. How many of you have ever heard the phrase by somebody who's tried everything, well, all we can do now is pray? You ever heard that? You know what that's like saying? All we have to fight with is a nuclear bomb. Think about it. All we can do is pray. That's really probably all we could have done in the first place. And what more could we do or want to do than to invite God, to ask God, to beg God to deal with this situation? All we can do is ever pray in most situations, and that is all we should want to do in some situations. As we begin tonight, this afternoon, we're going to remain in the book of Luke. And I want to begin this session on prayer by considering what was Jesus Christ capable of? Think about it. He walked on water, calmed the sea, raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, and so many other things when he was here. What was Jesus capable of? We can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to walk into a hospital in Tulsa and just heal people the way Jesus healed those that were brought in. We have no idea what power like that is like. And yet, despite all of those things that Jesus could do, he still needed to be in prayer to God. With his kind of power, if he considered prayer a priority, how much more so do we need it who don't have all the power he had? 
If Jesus could do all those incredible, awesome, wonderful things, and He could and He did, what power that is, and yet with all of that power to deal with the Pharisees and the sick and the dead and the ill and all of those things, He still prayed for hours on end because He needed that connection to God and He needed that strength from God and he needed to raise people up in prayer. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 and as I said we'll make it easy in this last session we'll stay right in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 Luke 6 and verse 12 Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. That was his purpose. That was the whole reason he went. He went to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. If Jesus needed to pray that long and that hard before this, this major selection of his apostles and pray for them for strength. So it doesn't say exactly what he prayed for. It says he prayed all night in prayer to God. When it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. It is my personal opinion, you can take it or leave it, that Jesus was in prayer for those twelve. That's what I believe. You can. We know he was in prayer. Bible doesn't say for what. Did he know who he was going to pick before he went up to that mountain? Did, did he know? Yes, he knew. He was Jesus. He knew. And so I have to believe that he wasn't praying for direction. Who do I pick? Because he knew these apostles. He knew before they were born. But he prayed for them. And if he did that for them, certainly we need to pray for our spouses. If we would consider for just a minute. Jesus went up on that mountain. He was isolated. He was devoted. And he was undistracted. If he were here today and he were to do this, he'd leave his cell phone behind. He'd leave his tablet behind. He'd turn the TV off. He'd turn the computer off. Find himself alone, isolated, undistracted, and just devote himself to prayer to God. He prayed all night long. That's another element of this. He prayed all night. Not a 20-second or two-minute pre-meal drill. We all know the 20-second pre-meal drill, don't we? We all know the two-minute drill when it comes to prayer, and the same things are said, and sadly sometimes in the Lord's Church, when we say the same, we, we say the same thing over and 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 over. When a person gets up to lead prayer, you know what they're going to say? Because what they've said the last 20 years. That's sad. We've lamented about that as preachers sometimes. This wasn't that. Another thing was if he prayed that long for those disciples, if he spent that much time in prayer before selecting them and sending them out, how much more should we pray for our spouses before they go off to work? How much more should we pray for our children and our families? How much more should we pray for the future of our families? I would move on now, if we could, to Luke chapter 6. Verses 27 and 8. Actually, I'm going to do several verses here selected from Luke 6. Beginning in 27, ending in 36. Luke 6, 27 through 36. Selected verses. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. As we apply this to our marriage, hopefully nobody spitefully, you know, using each other. That's not the point. But the point is that when we have those hard times or we feel that, you know, our spouse said something to us that they really shouldn't have said or whatever. Rather than fighting with them, we need to pray to God for them. Pray for those who spitefully use you or maybe say things they shouldn't say. Pray for their strength. And just as you want men to do to you, do also to them likewise. We've covered that from Matthew 7. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. I used all of those verses, 27, 8, 31, 35, and 36, because they surround that idea of prayer. They tell us not only to pray, but to be merciful. Folks, if we're praying for those whom we may be struggling with, is that being merciful? Yes, that's, that's showing God-like mercy and forgiveness. That's part of it. Pray for your spouse. But not only when things are wonderful, but even on those occasions where things may get a little frustrating between the two of you, disappointing to the two of you, when things let you down, or when angry words are said, then especially pray for your spouse. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 31 Luke 9, 28-31. If we were to read Matthew's account of this in Matthew 17, which is what we would commonly refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration, and we wouldn't know just from Matthew's account that Jesus' actual purpose of going up there was to pray. Luke 9, 28-31. It came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain, or up on the mountain, to pray. When he was transfigured before them, the whole purpose of going up there in the first place was not to be transfigured before them, but to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, watch this, spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Don't miss that. They spoke to him about his decease he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They spoke to Jesus about the crucifixion and all of those terrible things that were going to happen to him. Folks, in anticipation of some of the hardest things that we are going to face in this life, as families and as married couples, in anticipation of those things that are difficult, that are terrible events, even as he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God himself, needed to pray and he received strength and encouragement that only the God of heaven could provide, we need to follow in his footsteps. We need to pray together. We need to pray for strength. When it says that they were talking to him about what he would accomplish, as I look at that, again, I'm thinking they're encouraging him. They're talking about those things that are, that are going to occur, but to have these two come back and appear in glory would be a reminder of what's waiting on the other side of this terrible event. That's how my mind sees this particular scripture. And so we too need to pray, because if he did, if he needed the strength and encouragement that only prayer to God could provide, then we do too. As a matter of fact, look in Luke 22. Luke 22.
show you another example that kind of goes along with that. Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. Luke 22, 39 through 46. It says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Think about what they were going to undergo. Think about how they were going to be tempted to, to not follow him. Think about all of the persecution that they were going to face. And so what did he tell them? You've got this, this incredible, what could be a disastrous event coming in your life. What do you need to do to fix it? You need to pray. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, Jesus himself, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now watch this. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, doing what? Strengthening him. And then what? And then he prays, and it says... Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, I used to think, and I don't know why I thought that until I really looked at it, but you know, I kind of had the idea that, that Jesus prayed so earnestly that his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And then this angel came to him, but that's not, the way, that's not what that says. The angel came to him to strengthen him. Again, as, as I perceive this in the passage we talked about from Luke 9, to strengthen him, to let him know, look what's waiting. Look at the glory that's waiting. Jesus, this is worth it. And, and Jesus is pouring himself out. And even after the angels come there to strengthen him because of his prayer, he gets into it all the more and, and his sweat is like drops of blood and it gets even more intense. If the Lord of glory needed that kind of intense prayer with all of the abilities and power he had, how much more do you and I need to be in prayer to God for those battles that we are both in and that Satan will continue to try to hit us with? If he needed to be in that kind of prayer, wow. Question. Are we in prayer as much as we need to be. Finally, in Luke 18 and verse 1, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, 1, he spoke a parable to them that men, how often? Always ought to pray and not lose heart. To me, that says that the cure, the way not to lose heart, is to be in prayer. Does that make sense to everybody? You ought to pray so you don't lose heart. Well, the reason you don't lose heart is because you're praying, right? This is the same way that the Apostle Paul was constantly encouraging the first century churches of Christ to do in places like 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 18, where he said, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is both good for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray 
without ceasing. In everything giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God says, I want you to talk my ear off. I don't want you to go through life. I don't want you to go through the next day's battle. I don't want you to go through that next fiery wave of arrows that's coming. Talk to me. Trust me. Love me. Let me help you. Come to me and let me know with a humble heart that you need my help, that you want my help. Talk to me, God says. If one of your children has got a, a, a terrible problem that they're wrestling with, and you know you can help, you, don't you love it when they come to you and say, Hey, Dad, i got to talk to you. You think our Heavenly Father is any different? He's not. He just wants to be invited in to fix it. The Bible says in James 5 and verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another. And this is a good marriage verse. I know that's not the context, but it applies. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we are standing back to back with our spouse, one of the greatest weapons that we can use is to be in prayer for one another. Pray, pray for one another. Talk to one another about your weaknesses, about your failures, about those things that are frustrating you, those things that are tearing you down. And face it, folks, today with, with you know families and two jobs and just pulled and scattered and Satan seeking to divide us and all that sort of stuff, a lot of times, how often do we sit down with our spouse, hit the off button on the TV, hit the off button on the cell phone, Hit the off button on the computer. Sit down. Take our spouse. Send the kids to another room or something. And just say, I'm really struggling. Can we talk? Can we be that human with one another with our life partner? I'm really struggling. I need you to pray for me. I, I'm wrestling with something. Can we do that? Should we be able to do that? We have to do that. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was beseeching the brethren to do for him in Ephesians 6.18. Again, think of what the Apostle Paul was capable of. He could, he could heal people and he could speak in tongues and he could raise the dead. But you know what? When the Apostle Paul is writing to the Church of Christ in Ephesus, you know what he tells them with all the power that he had and all the, the miraculous gifts that he had and all those incredible things that he could do and those visions he had seen. You know what he tells them he needs them to do for him? Pray for me that I may speak more boldly. If the Apostle Paul needed the prayers of his brethren, how much more do you and I, who don't have half the abilities that the Apostle Paul had, need the prayer of those who love us? How, many, how much of the Bible did Paul write? How many churches did he start? How many people did he baptize? How many people did he raise from the dead? Wow. And what does he say? I covet your prayers. Please pray for me. As we wrap up this session, I want to encourage us all to be in constant prayer of gratitude for our spouses, of thanksgiving to God for the one that we are in a covenant relationship with before God to spend this life with. We need to be in constant prayer 
to encourage our spouses. And I'm not talking about, you know, the two-minute drill. I'm talking about focused, devoted, undistracted, in-depth prayers. I'm talking about even when they anger you or frustrate you or disappoint you or fail you or let you down. I am talking about during some of the darkest and most dismal marital valleys of life and death. I am talking about pray for their strength before major decisions. And we do that all because we love them. Prayer. That's what we need to give to each other. That's what we need to give to our marriage. And by the way... If you're young and you still have children at home or unmarried children, I also just want to throw this in here at the very end. I don't care if your child is 4, 5, 7, 9, 12. Are you praying for the family that is raising the spouse that will become your child's spouse? Are you praying for family to have good, godly, Christian morals and belong to God that are raising the spouse that your child will marry and have your grandchildren? We need to be. What are you going to do? Wait until I start dating? Too late. <laughs> well, it's not too late. It's still good, but you know what I mean. It, it's good to start early as well. The reason I wanted you all to sit close, I'm going to ask as we conclude this whole retreat, that you would join me in prayer. That we might hold hands, if we can, with the person next to us. doesn't have to be our spouse. But as a body, we need to pray for one another. Our Father in heaven, our glorious, holy, awesome, righteous, pure and perfect Father, hallowed be your name. Father, we come before you in humbled awe and adoration because of who you are. Father, we confess to you today that there's not a one of us, not a one of us, that deserves to be in your presence. Father, we know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we know, Father, our own sins and shortcomings and failures and weaknesses, and that we don't even deserve to have our prayers heard in and of ourselves because you are so holy and righteous and pure. And you can't stand sin in your sight. But Father, we're also so very grateful this day that we can come before you. That we can be considered worthy. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything you've done for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, for sending him and showing us what real love is. For making that, that first move to make things right. For giving him the crown jewel of heaven, Father, for sinners like us, we cannot begin to fathom such love. And yet at the same time, we pray that you will give us the strength to understand all of it that we possibly can and to expressly extend it and live it for our spouses. We are so grateful for our spouse. Father, we realize that they're not perfect any more than we are. But what a blessing. We thank you for them and we pray that over the, the days, the hours, and the days and the weeks and months and years to come, that you'll help us not to forget what your word says in some of the thoughts that have been expressed over this retreat. Help everyone amongst us, every husband and every wife, to strive 
to be the most Christ-like, selfless, sacrificial, giving, caring, serving, forgiving spouse we can possibly be. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to truly treat our spouse the way we would want to be treated. Father, we love you. We want our marriages all to be beacons of light to the world around us, to those who don't know you. We want them to see Jesus' love living in us in the way we treat one another, that they too might someday come to see your glory and become a child of yours. We pray for that strength. We pray for one another. We pray for our spouses. We pray for the one sitting beside us or those in front of us or behind us, that we might be those spouses. We thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the love and the faith and the energy and all it took to put it on. Father, may the seeds grow in our hearts and bring forth great fruit. For this is our prayer in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.